0: and I'm reading from verse 1 John 21 reading from verse 1 afterwards Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the sea of Tiberius. it happened this way Simon Peter Simon called Didymus Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee the sons of Zebedee and two other disciples were together I'm going out to fish Simon Peter told them And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realise that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. And the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him saying, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and he jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals. There were fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, a hundred and fifty But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is it to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumor spread among the brothers that the disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is it to you? This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word and we pray this morning as we look into your word that we would learn more about you. That we would learn something of that love that Peter had for you. Would you speak into our hearts and into our minds and into our lives. Would you work that resurrection miracle of bringing us back to life. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. we're continuing to look at the the resurrection appearances of Jesus. Last week we were on the road to Emmaus with the two disciples and uh, a couple of weeks before that we were looking at uh, John and Peter as they discovered the truth that Jesus was alive when they saw the garments in the tomb. And this morning we're we're looking at the uh, story of the miraculous catch which I'm calling a story about faith and fish. There was once a story told of a man who volunteered to paint the church steeple. With great difficulty he hoisted himself up onto the steeple with a can of paint and a bottle of water. After painting half the steeple the man realised that he was running out of paint. So he added some water to the paint. He was almost at the top when he realised he needed more paint to finish. So he added more water to the paint and mumbled no one will ever know. When he finished painting, he began to lower himself off the steeple. Just then, the skies darkened. A loud clap of thunder was heard, and a deep voice from heaven said, Repaint, repaint, and thin no more. (laughs) Do you ever have that experience, that uh, things are not quite working out how you expected? Have you ever done something and... uh, and uh, experienced uh, failure well John at the end of his gospel calls to mind a time when some of the disciples uh, felt a little bit like that things hadn't really turned out the way they'd expected they'd all followed Jesus for three years and now he was gone there'd been that excitement of the resurrection appearances but that had faded and perhaps they were feeling a little bit lost without their leader Perhaps they were wondering about what the future held for them. And so they returned to what they knew best. I suppose you could say, in some respects, that, uh, that they were living in the past. John tells us that there were seven of them. I guess Peter had as much reason as any of them to feel failure. He was the one that had uh, denied Jesus three times and uh, those memories would have stayed with him i are told that Thomas was also there. He was, of course, the disciple that questioned and doubted uh, Jesus' resurrection, whether he'd really come back to life. Nathaniel was another one. Uh, he was a little similar to Thomas. He was sceptical when he first met Jesus. He was the one that said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Then there were the two sons of Zebedee. Uh, Two brothers, James and John, they all stuck together, both uh, fiery guys, ready to pronounce judgement on those who opposed Jesus. And uh, James, of course, was nowhere to be seen when the going got tough and the pressure was on. And uh, they would have both felt like failures. They'd walked with Jesus for three years, but when the crunch came, they had all deserted him. Two other disciples were there who were not named. They all had a past. That immobilised them. That sapped their energy. And that's what sometimes our past can do to us. So there they were by the Sea of Galilee. And Peter had this idea. Well I know what I'll do. Uh, Let's go fishing. Might not have been a great disciple. But at least I can still fish. Sounds like a good idea the others think. And uh, they go with them. When things go wrong sometimes. Uh, The temptation is to go back uh, to something that we think that we can do. When we get frustrated, when we fail, sometimes the temptation is to, to give up and to return to something that we feel safer with. Well, if the thought that the night's fishing was going to make them feel better, they couldn't have been more wrong. The night, they fished all night and caught not a single thing only adding to their sense of failure and frustration. You might have thought the fact that they'd, many of them had spent much of their lifetime fishing, they would have had a little bit more success, but not one single bite. Nothing to show. It perhaps sums up how they were feeling about their lives, three years following Jesus, and what did they have to show for it. You know, when fishermen catch something, it's, it's called skill, isn't it? Uh, But when they catch nothing, it's bad luck, it's the water, it's the weather, it's uh, the wrong baits, it's the big one that got away. And then if that wasn't bad enough, uh, this cheerful guy, have you noticed when you fail or when something goes wrong, there's always somebody who's who's cheerful that appears. And uh, of course, he asked the very question that they didn't want him to ask. Caught any fish? I wonder what the question is we don't want people to ask us. What's the question that we dread? What's the question that will uh, illuminate perhaps our past, our failures? Caught any fish. They didn't want to tell them, uh, To talk about the fact that they hadn't caught any fish. They wanted to talk about the fact that they'd been working and slaving all night in their attempts and how unfortunate or unlucky they had been. But Jesus ask them the question haven't you caught any fish no they answer and uh, it's an important thing when they say no sometimes uh, we beat about the bush don't we? we we find it difficult to admit that things haven't been as successful uh, how many people came oh a, a good number a good number uh, yeah, but what's, a, what, what's a good number well one or two <laughs> uh, sometimes we don't like to admit do we That things haven't gone well. Sometimes we'll kind of uh, exaggerate. uh, To make it sound that things have been better than they were. But the disciples are honest. No. They answered. We've caught nothing. And then Jesus says to them. Throw your nets on the right side of the boat. And you'll find some. Now I don't know about you. But uh, Sometimes if I'm struggling to do something, I can find it irritating. You know, you've been trying to do something for ages and somebody else says, oh, why don't you try this? It can be quite irritating, can't it? But for whatever reason, um, the disciples did what Jesus said, not knowing who it was. Uh, as we've said before in the resurrection appearances, there seems to be this, uh, there's something about Jesus um, whether it was different in appearance whether it was just that the, the sun was shining in their faces and they couldn't see but it seems to be uh, something that in the resurrection appearances that people didn't at first recognise who Jesus was so they didn't know it was Jesus with the suggestion to throw their nets on the other side but they did as he said and of course uh, there were fish so many fish when they did they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish you see they tried to fish all night and hadn't caught anything and suddenly the net's full of fish they'd admitted their failure and done what Jesus had asked them to do and suddenly they're jolted out of living in the past suddenly they get that deja vu feeling we've been here before and of course it's John, who always seems to be the disciple that had that uh, special insight. you remember when we were looking at, the, uh, at Peter and, and John going into the tomb? It was It was the disciple John that looked at the grave clothes and believed. And here it's the disciple John who looks at the catch of fish and says, it's the Lord. He recognises that this is God at work in Jesus Christ. Peter, of course, we know Peter. uh, He's not the one that always recognises what what is going on, but he's always the first one to act. And he's straight out of the boat and uh, in the water. Uh, Peter's the one that always got out of the boat, isn't he? You know, remember that time when he, he attempted to walk on water? Well, this time he wasn't trying to walk on water. He was swimming. He's out of the boat and he's swimming to Jesus on the shore. And suddenly they jolted out of the past. Suddenly they have that feeling that we've been here before. This was something that they couldn't have achieved on their own. And so they're no longer living in the past. They're suddenly living in the present. And Jesus is once again with them. Peter is the one who gets to the shore first. He can't wait for the boat and the heavy load. He's in the water swimming towards Jesus. And the whole mood on the boat changes. From failure and frustration to joy. And this is what happens when we allow Jesus into our failures. This is what happens when we're honest with Jesus and say, No, uh, we can't do it on our own. And the whole mood changes. Eight hours during the night and they hadn't caught a sausage. A few moments doing what Jesus tells them to do. And now they have a huge catch of fish. And of course John records the fact that uh, not only was there a huge catch of fish, there were 153 fish. Now whenever numbers appear in the Bible, uh, some people get very excited. And uh, if, you, uh, if, if you look up this passage in a, a concordance or you go on the internet, you'll find all sorts of theories about the number 153. I'll share one or two with them because uh, I know you like this sort of thing. Uh, Augustine uh, had a theory you have to stay with me for this one uh, he suggested there were ten commandments you know that and uh, that seven is the perfect number and ten and seven that's seventeen with me so far now if you add all these numbers together from one to seventeen you know one plus two plus three plus four plus five all the way up to seventeen guess what number you get a hundred and fifty three some of you will spend the rest of the sermon I know trying to work it out not only that but if you were to arrange the fish like that, like this, uh, one and then and then two, three, and four, five, six. Guess what? Makes the perfect triangle, which of course is a representation of the of the Trinity. But not only that, you get seventeen down each side of the three uh, three sides. I can tell that you you're amazed by this. Jerome, the early church father, he had a different theory, a bit, a bit of a more simpler theory. Among the Greeks, it was widely regarded that there were 153 kinds of different fish in the sea. Uh, modern science, of course, has disproved that now, but we'll, we'll go with it. Uh, and that these 153 fish uh, were symbolic of the church reaching the whole world. Personally, I've got my own theory. Which I know you're desperate to hear. I think somebody counted them. I think somebody went, one, two, three, four. Someone said, this is a huge catch. Uh, and being fishermen, you know what fishermen are like. They like to tell stories about how big the fish were. And this was going to be a story that they would retell and retell. And so I reckon they counted the fish. One, two, three, four, five. Not quite as exciting as some of the other theories. And if you want more of that stuff, just search 153 fish on the internet. And you can spend the rest of the day, if not the week, uh, as people uh, think about the different theories about 153 fish. But I think we've covered it for now. Uh, there was a lot of fish and uh, what it actually demonstrates really is that uh, Jesus was able to do what they couldn't do on their own of course we're just as interested in numbers aren't we Um, don't we judge success by numbers you know, was it a good meeting? Was it a good prayer meeting? Well, how many people came? Very often we judge, uh, not by what happens in the prayer meeting, by the number of people came. Was it a good service? Well, how many people were there? Uh, how was the holiday club? Well, how many people came? Very often we, we, we get into the numbers game, don't we? And we judge things by how many uh, people attend, or how many people come, or how many people respond. We've all been to, to and I heard people speak about, you know, uh, people talking about missions, and of course what we want to emphasise is how many people came to Christ. And uh, we do get involved in the numbers game. I'm not saying that numbers aren't important. Of course we want to see people to come to Christ. We want to see people come to church. We want to see people come into the Holy club. But there's more to everything that we do than just the numbers of people. And uh, we don't need to get too tied up with numbers. And Jesus isn't just counting fish. Jesus was preparing breakfast for disciples and he invites them. He uh, doesn't explain where the fish that he had already uh, got on the on the grill, came from. And uh, he's prepared breakfast for them. And he invites the disciples to come and join him in what he is doing. And so they were living in the past and suddenly they were jolted. And they were living in the present. They were with Jesus and Jesus was back with them. And everything was great. And then Jesus of course takes Peter to one side. And suddenly, they're transported into living in the future. And Jesus is going to talk to Peter about the future. But Jesus wants to make sure, first of all, that that Peter's actually dealt with the past. Because, you know, very often people actually get stuck in the past. So that they can't really live in the present or even think about the future. And uh, there was something hanging over Peter as, uh, as he met with Jesus. And of course it was the fact that he had denied Jesus three times. We know the story uh, when Jesus was arrested and uh, they'd had the Last Supper and of Peter had been the one that said, if everybody else betrays you, if everyone else leads you, I'll swallow you, even to death. And he'd made that promise. And of course Jesus predicted uh, that that wasn't going to be the case, that by time the cock crowed three times he would have uh, denied him and of course that happened and uh, of course you wonder you know what was going on in Peter's head because uh, he had been the one that had denied Jesus and this was hanging over him and this was in a sense stopping him being able to move forward maybe one of the things that led him to think well I'm going to go back fishing of course there would already been an indication Um that things were going to be okay. Do you remember in Mark's account. Uh, when the news that Jesus had risen. It says he had risen. He's not here. See the place where they'd laid him. But go and tell his disciples. And Peter. The disciples and Peter. He's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Just as he told you. And Peter. Uh, Max Lucado. Uh, says. What a line, it's as if heaven had watched Peter fall and it's as if all heaven wanted to help him back up again. Be sure and tell Peter he's not left out, tell him that the one failure does not make a flop. Phew, no wonder they call it the gospel of the second chance. And here now is Peter and uh, hanging over him is this thing that hasn't been dealt with. Uh, There's been no mention of it and it needs to be dealt with. It needs to be got rid of. Peter needed to go through the pain of being forgiven. If he was going to have a future with Jesus. Peter had to be able to put the past behind him. He had to put behind him the failures of the past and be able to move on into the future. Peter could have have spent the rest of his life allowing the pain of his free denials to destroy his future. Many people do. Many people allow the things that have happened in the past to prevent them really being alive in the present, let alone thinking about the future. And Peter needed to go through the pain. But it's interesting, isn't it, how Jesus deals with it. Have you noticed that Jesus doesn't deal with people in the same way that we would deal with them? Have you noticed that? Uh, Jesus doesn't say to Peter, you know, are you sorry? He says, Peter, do you truly love me more than these? And again, the commentators go mad about, about this. You know, more than these doesn't mean more than the fish, doesn't mean more than the people. What's he talking about here? Uh, what's going on? Um, but Jesus is wanting to know whether Peter still loves him. And it's interesting, isn't it? That, you know, um, you know the, 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 the way that we um, lead people to Jesus, we think it's all about, you know, saying the prayer and, and being sorry. And what Jesus here... Of course he wants to know that Peter's sorry, but he wants to know whether he loves him, whether he still loves him. And uh, Peter, of course, responds, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus asks him again, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? And Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And then the third time, and John says that Peter was hurt by this. Um, Not so much by the fact that Jesus asked him a third time, but the reminder of the free denials. And Peter says, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. You see, Jesus wanted to make sure that Peter knew that the past was dealt with. The, the love that Peter had for him, that enthusiasm that forced him to jump and leap out of the boats. The enthusiasm that meant sometimes that Peter got it wrong, often Peter got it wrong. Jesus wanted to make sure that that love was still there. And Peter was given the opportunity to live again, to be brought back from the dead. And this is what resurrection is about. It's about giving new life to the dead. And Peter could have remained dead and buried in his failure and his failure to follow Jesus. And Jesus restores him and he brings him back to life. I wonder how we respond to that question. Do you truly love me? Do you truly love me? Just as the past can affect our present, so can the present affect our future. When we say yes to Jesus, we are affecting and changing our future. We are making a choice to go in the direction that Jesus calls us to do. For Peter, this would not mean, this was going to mean taking a difficult journey and Jesus gives an inclination about what that journey will involve when he talks about Peter's own future. And he says that when you're old, you will, be stretched, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you. And John says this was to indicate the sort of death that Peter was going to experience. But it's important that we know that Jesus can use us even when we fail. That Jesus still has a job for Peter to do even though he got it completely wrong. And it's important for us to recognize, as Michael Card points out in his book about Peter's life, A Fragile Stone, he says, Now he understands that his position of leadership is founded not on his own strength, but in his brokenness. So often we try to do things in our own strength. The disciples went out and they tried to fish in their own uh, strength and they failed. Uh, Jesus wants to make sure that as he calls Peter into this position of leadership, you know, go take care of my sheep, uh, feed my sheep, feed my lambs, take care of them. He wanted to make sure that, that this leadership was going to be built not on Peter's own strength, but on the fact that he sat or stood with Jesus, a broken man. And Jesus says, I can use this. And it's interesting, isn't it? You know, in the world that we live in, uh, it's always the best, the strongest, the fastest, the cleverest uh, that we think are the most useful. And in the kingdom of God, it's that upside down kingdom. It's people that are broken that Jesus can use. People that say, I can't do it on my own. I need God to help me. And when we come to that point, Jesus says, here's somebody I can build my church on. Here's somebody that I can use. Feed my lambs. Take care of my sheep. Feed my sheep. And Jesus reinstates Peter for ministry. Jesus has just fed the disciples on the beach. And Jesus' instruction to Peter is to feed my lambs, take care of my sheep, and feed my sheep. He's been called into that pastoral ministry of shepherding the sheep. And Jesus, of course, demonstrated to Peter and the other disciples... That a way to do that is not in your own strength, but by looking to Jesus. Living in the future. <clears throat> Peter, commissioned. You think now that, that he's going to get everything right, wouldn't you? You think now he's, he's being given that blessing by Jesus. And straight away, you know, Peter's still Peter, still the same person. What about him? What about my friend? You know what I mean? And isn't that so typical, you know? Um, you know, of, of, of humanity, of the earthliness of us. We want to know about other people's business, aren't we? We're not just contented to know about ourselves, what's going on in their lives. And uh, and Jesus says, really, he says, what's that to, to do with you? What's that got to do with you, Peter? You do what I've called you to do, and don't worry about the rest of the time. And so often in church, you know, uh, if only we listen to that, sometimes we're so busy interfering in other people's business, When really we should be in the business of following Jesus. Because that's what he calls Peter to do. Lord, what about him? And Jesus says, you know, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is it to you? What is it to you? But Peter's call is to follow. Peter's call is to follow. And that's the same call that comes to us. So, have you been broken? Do you find it difficult to admit that you're wrong? Are you still living in the past? Have you got a past that haunts you? Are there things in your past that are stopping you be the person that Jesus wants you to do? Are things that you've held on to that you just can't let go of because you think it's so terrible? You know, God wants you to let go so that you can be alive in the present. You don't have to live in the past. You can live in the present and God's got a great future for you. But you have to follow him and you have to trust in him. And that's what Peter does. And he receives that resurrection life. He can live again because he knows that he has been forgiven. Let's pray together. Father God, each one of us knows what it is to fail. Each one of us knows what it is to, to let you down we even know what it's like to run away, to fail to face up to the facts, that we've not followed you as well as we could have done, and that we've not spoken up for you. Lord, we come to you in our failure and in our brokenness, admitting that we haven't been all that we could be. But like Peter, we want to say that we still love you. Unlike like Peter, we want to hear you recommission us for service, to send us out. Not that we're going to be a great success, but we're going to seek to follow you, not in our own strength, but in the strength that you you supply. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.